Vincent Werbeck's Derby. What do you believe? What do you believe about God and who he is? What do you believe about Jesus and the Holy Spirit? What do you believe about the church? What do you believe? One of the values in the West in the 21st century is about being inclusive. And there's lots of good things that go with that. It's about raising up marginalized voices, people who perhaps we haven't heard before. Um, but there's problems with that because there's a danger of not wanting to say anything that might appear to be exclusive, anything that might exclude anybody. One writer said that the gospel, i.e. the good news about Jesus, is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. I'll just repeat that. The gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. What does that mean? Well, from its very beginnings, Christianity said that neither your race, nor your sex, nor your social status, nor your age could be a bar to being a member of Christ's body, the church. Anyone could be a Christian. And this was radical. Think back to Roman days. Everything was kind of strated where you were born, what race you were, what kind of bit of society where anybody could be a Christian. So what marked a Christian out from a non-Christian? The answer was your faith, the thing that you believed in. So Christianity was open to anyone, but it had definite convictions. And over the years, over the centuries, Christians developed summaries of this faith, of these convictions. Now, a whole bunch of them have kind of been developed into things called creeds. Where does the word creed come from? It comes from the Latin credo, meaning I believe, I trust. And one of those summaries is the Apostles' Creed. And it's based firstly on the Bible, which is good news, but it's also based on stuff going back to the second century, it's got traditionally 12 lines relating to the 12 apostles, although it doesn't link into them at all, but I think that's why they had 12 lines. And it's got three sections, one based on the Father, one based on the Son, one based on the Holy Spirit. And as Jenny said, we're starting a new series today. And over this summer, we're going to be drilling in to different parts of these beliefs in the Apostles' Creed. If you've, been in a if you've been in this church or have been in a church similar to this one, you may well have sung the song we sung a minute ago, This I Believe. They didn't make the song up in the sense that the wording they took almost directly from the Apostles' Creed. They realized that as a church, they weren't linked to the kind of historic global church. They thought, right, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we say what we believe? And they made this song. The creeds, they define, like I guess, the boundary edges of the Christian faith. There's lots of stuff they don't, trust, they don't touch on. So there's all kinds of things you won't find in the creeds, and it leaves room for discussion. But if you walked into any Catholic church, any Protestant church, any Orthodox church, you would find people being able to say the words of the Apostles' Creed. And you see, in an age where everything is instant, when things are constantly changing, when we value personal freedom above almost anything else, when we can construct our own image or even buy our identity, 
there's something incredibly countercultural that says, I believe in this thing that billions of other people all over the world and throughout history believe in. Something incredibly countercultural to that. And the word that we might use about that is Catholic. Not Catholic with a big C, not Catholic with the word Roman in front of it, but the word Catholic meaning universal. What the church has always believed. All of us need something bigger than ourselves to believe in. All of us need something more than ourselves to live for. And actually, when we say this, we join in with others. And this morning, we're going to be looking very specifically at the beginning of this creed. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But as the creed should be summarizing what the Bible says, it'd be good to go there. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, turn to John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, if you're here this morning, somebody's brought you along, if you're a guest and you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible this morning. We believe that reading this thing will change your life. So there are Bibles over by the pillar. You don't have to ask. Do take one. So we're turning to John chapter 5, verse 16. And they will appear on the screens behind me as well. John 5, 16. And just to say, this is taken from John's version of the Jesus story. And Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man. He just said to this guy, pick up your mat, get up and walk. And the guy has been healed. It's the Sabbath day, which is the Jewish holy day. And we join the story just after this incredible healing has taken place. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. For this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. On my first Father's Day in Derby, somehow I ended up very early in the morning on BBC Radio Derby talking about Father's Day and the church. And this is new to me. I've never been on the radio before and I've never been on the radio since. That might say something about how I did. Um, The conversation was seeming to go fine. It was just a couple of minutes of quick conversation. And we're talking about Father's Day and all this sort of stuff. And then suddenly from nowhere, the guy who was interviewing me said, that's really interesting, but isn't the church responsible for all kinds of patriarchy? I was like, oh, uh, I don't remember that being in the reviewed questions we were going to ask. And I had to kind of work my way out and say, well, actually, the Christian church early on, yes, we've been guilty for lots of things, but actually it elevated the status of women. Jesus loved women. He cared for women. Women were his disciples, and we went down that route briefly. But this morning, we're focusing on God as Father. 
And actually, it may be that for you, this idea of God as Father is quite a hard thing to get your head around because it simply reinforces the idea of patriarchy, the idea of kind of male oppression, if you like. And I can't cover all of this, but I just want to highlight a couple of things if this is an issue for you. According to the Bible, both women and men are made in the image of God. God is not made in our image, either male or female. Both women and men are made in the image of God. As well as there being lots of imagery and verses in the scriptures talking about God's masculinity, there are also verses in the scriptures that talk about God in a feminine way. We talk here about God being a mother hen, protecting her chicks under her wings. We hear about God being like a woman making bread, molding and shaping us. We hear about God as a nursing mother, feeding and connected to her child. We hear about God as a woman who had ten coins and lost one. This is radical stuff, using this imagery for God. And so we've got this thing that our language is inadequate to describe who God is. And yet actually at the same time, we believe he has revealed himself in the scriptures. So there's masculine imagery, there's feminine imagery, but actually God has revealed himself through the scriptures. And one of the ways in which he has done that is as father. If you want to talk more about that, please come and see me afterwards. I'd love to discuss that a little bit more. So with those things in mind, as church, as people who make up the body of Christ, what does it say to the words, I believe in God the Father Almighty? It may help you just to get open John chapter 5 again. You see, we pick up that story. Jesus has commanded this man to get up, pick up his mat and walk. And in the process, the man is healed. And the Jewish leaders, they kick off with Jesus. They are not happy with him that he's done this. He's healed a man. You think, oh, this is great. The power of God has been displayed. They're not happy one bit. What's their problem? Well, there are commands earlier in the Bible that say you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. This is a holy day for God. And Jesus, by healing in their eyes, has worked. And by telling the man to kind of get up, pick up his mat and walk along, He's got the man to work, and they're not happy at all. And I find Jesus' response fascinating. He doesn't say, stop being pedants, this is ridiculous. He doesn't say, guys, don't you care about this hurting man? He doesn't say to them, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. What's his response? My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. What a cryptic response. My father's at work, and I too am working. There's a background discussion that the Jews were having. Did God rest on the Sabbath, or did God keep working? They came to the conclusion that God had to keep working because he created everything, but he sustains everything. And so therefore, if God stops sustaining the universe, it would just fall apart. So God is always working. And so Jesus, by saying, guys, my father is working, and I too am working, he's saying, I'm God. Blasphemy. How can he say that? That's why they kick off with him. Quite an outlandish thing for Jesus to say. And so this is where it kind of gets a bit of a head jam. God is creator. He's sustainer of everything. There's this statement, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, who created heaven and earth. 
But we know from other bits of the scriptures, God created everything by the Son and through the Son. We know the Holy Spirit was there in the beginning of creation. So it's all bits of the Trinity are involved. But actually, God created everything. There's one God. He created it all, however he did it, in whatever way he did it. And so as we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, we're saying there's one God, and he created it, he sustains it all. That's what we say when we begin the creed. What else do we find out? We believe that God is the Father of Jesus. Do we see here, it says, he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, there are examples in the Old Testament where we kind of see God fathering or even mothering the nation of Israel. They would have looked to God in that way as a group of people. But very, very rarely would they have had an individual calling God Father. And here we have Jesus saying again and again, he's my father, he's my father, he's my father, I'm his son. Absolutely radical. And we see that Jesus says he can only do what he sees the Father doing. As the Son is honoured, the honour goes to the Father too. And this is how the understanding of the Trinity came about. It wasn't kind of plonked down. They had to begin to work out what's going on here. Well, Jesus says he's equal with God. We know there's only one God. So how does this fit in? And then the Holy Spirit's around and he's seen similar. And so they had to go, okay, there's one God. And they begin to work out there's three persons in that one God. And so in saying that we believe that God is Father, we're saying something about the very nature of who God is. Have you ever thought about the fact we say God is love? Have you ever thought about that? God is love. In order to love, you need to have somebody that kind of gives love and then somebody that receives love. How can an individual in themselves be love? Well, we've got the Father giving love to the Son. We've got the Son giving love to the Spirit. We've got the Spirit giving love to the Father. There's this circular relationship of love. So before humanity existed, before creation existed, God was able to be love in and of himself. And so by saying God is Father, we're saying something about God's very essence. Maybe you've, never, maybe you've heard that before and you think, oh, that's fine, Andy. Maybe you've never heard that before and hopefully that's an interesting thing to think about. God in his very essence is relational. But I'm aware there's always a danger when I preach that I can be a little bit abstract and people's minds cloud over and you think, that's all very interesting, Andy, but that means nothing to me. This is where it gets personal. God the Father can be our Father. You see, Jesus doesn't simply call God Father There's one place that he calls him Abba. It's an Aramaic word, which kind of is a bit like daddy. It's a little bit more respectful than that, but it's intimate and respectful, a bit like papa, maybe. This word Abba. And in Romans, Paul writes this. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you know what's fascinating? That Jesus only calls God Abba once in the New Testament. That place is in the book of Mark. And Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. It's before he goes to the cross for our sin and our shame. And it's only because of that, because Jesus did that, 
that he died for us, that he rose from the dead, that we're able to call God Father. The previous Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says, we can cry Abba because Jesus so cried in his suffering for us. We can, call, we can cry Abba because Jesus so cried in his suffering for us. Yes, God created every human being. God is the creator of us all. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. But there is something incredible that happens when a person decides to follow Jesus. Part of the imagery that goes in there is adoption, that we move from being into God's family, we get adopted into his family. And you see that passage that, wrote, that Paul wrote talks about your adoption to sonship. Oh my goodness, his patriarchy again. No, what Paul is doing is he's saying the sons in those days were the ones that received the inheritance. So whether you're female or male, you get the inheritance. And that is radical. It's incredibly, it's just amazing. Female or male, we get the inheritance. We're adopted into sonship. In recent years, there's been a movement in the UK um, to encourage the church to think about physical adoption. One of my friends works for the organization Home for Good, and she goes around kind of speaking with churches, saying there are lots of people without homes, lots of children without homes, and trying to stir the church to say, if this is what the gospel looks like, if this is what the good news of Jesus looks like, adoption, how about we consider, and I'm not putting this on us because it's incredibly challenging, but how about for some of us we consider actually practically doing it? And I know there are people in this room who have done it, and I know there are people in this room who are thinking about doing it. But I want to encourage us to think, is that something God could be asking of us to demonstrate the gospel to a hurting world? So interestingly, in the New Testament, family is recast around God as Father. Our brother is Jesus. Our sisters and brothers are people who follow Jesus and are filled with his spirit. And in, church, in a church culture, we can sometimes idolize marriage and children. And so this is good news. The family is recast as us. So whether we're married and have children, whether we don't, we're part of God's family. And it's good news for people like me who do have children because it takes a whole family to raise children not just this nuclear thing. The family is recast in the New Testament. Within this room, I'm aware that for some of us, this idea of God as Father is not difficult because of patriarchy. It's not difficult because it's a bit of a head jam and we're trying to work out where does the Holy Spirit fit in, where does Jesus fit in, what's going on with the Trinity. It's hard because of our earthly fathers. I've said many times from the front that my dad moved to the United States when I was 10 years old. Now, um, the place I grew up, lots of families had split, had split up. Lots of my friends' dads didn't live with them. I think what was different about me was that my dad didn't just live up the road, he moved four and a half thousand miles away. And my dad is great, we're going to see him next month. He's, a, he's an amazing man in all kinds of ways. But him doing that, him walking out when I was 10 years old, made it incredibly challenging at times to go. The danger was that I saw my heavenly father through the lens of my earthly father. And I'm aware that for some of us in this room, a dad moving four and a half thousand miles away is nothing because actually your experiences of a dad is that you've never known him or maybe you did know him and you wish that you hadn't. So I want to say to us this morning, God, um, we are made in God's image. 
He is not made in our image. And so if you really struggle to see God because of your earthly dad, can I encourage you to get into the story of Jesus? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at the person of Jesus. Does your earthly dad match up to him? No, he doesn't. I'm a dad. I don't live up to the person of Jesus. I know that. So however good or how bad they've been, we need to look to the person of Jesus, and then we get the image of what the Father is like. For many of us, that may be a journey that we're kind of partly on, or it may be something we need to go on much longer. But I would encourage you to continue to pursue your heavenly Father. Our heavenly Father, he never leaves us or forsakes us. His kindness leads us to repentance. He welcomes us with a run and a hug and a kiss. He places a new robe on us and a ring on our finger, and he throws a party when we come home. And he calls us to live the lives that we were created for, for his glory. In a few moments' time, we're going to sing, and then we're going to take the family meal together. We're going to take communion. And I want to encourage us that as we do that, if we're people that have decided to follow Jesus, we are part of this family. We are adopted into it. And as we take communion, that is part of what it means to be family. So I'm going to pray, and then the band are going to come up, and then we're going to move into communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this truth isn't just an abstract thing. God, it's not just words that have been put together over thousands of years. But actually it's this truth that resonates throughout eternity. That you love us, God, completely. You long for our adoption into your family. Father, I pray for those of us who may struggle with the image of your fatherhood because of our experience here. Help us to see more of who you are. Would you knock off those negative images? And would you help us to know that we are loved completely? In Jesus' name, amen.